morning at McKnight's Crossing. I am not the Jeff you expected to be here, but I am Jeff, so I fit well on the microphone that says Jeff on it, so, um, but we'll see how this goes. I'm not doing the variety show today, so who knows, maybe I will do the variety show, Let's see how loud it will go. Um, this morning, we are continuing with our topic of head, heart, and hands in Jesus, and I have the next section. But before we do that, let's go to the next slide. And one of the other things is that I wanted to throw up here just as a quick plug because I'm one of the teachers of the class. Uh, Jesus is the question, finding answers through the questions Jesus asks. So starting September the 4th, which is, I guess, three weeks or about a month away from today, uh, we will start a class on this topic. Uh, Jeff Fogarty, myself, and... Oh, okay. Okay, September 11th. So, well, actually, that's not right either. Isn't that the part church in the park? <laughs> Who knows? It's going to start in September. <laughs> September sometime uh, when classes start back up. Uh, yes, that is Labor Day weekend. Uh, originally, the thought was that we would have a class. There was church in the park. And then we would actually have the real class following that. We'd have an introduction the first week. So we'll, we'll see when it actually starts. But myself, Jeff Fogarty, and Carl Rigers will be teaching that class. And it could be upstairs, I think, somewhere. We're, we're not really sure yet. Third floor, fourth floor. So uh, we offer this class partly in connection with our theme of the head, heart, and hands of Jesus. As we continue to look at Jesus' teaching and his way of teaching, which is... that better? A little bit better? Can you hear me? Okay, good. So looking at the questions Jesus used to teach uh, the people and the questions he did not answer. So this morning as we get to Luke chapter 4, uh, the last couple of weeks uh, Jeff Kreider had been looking at Luke 4. If you remember the beginning of Luke 4 is the temptation, so Jesus' temptation and then following that last week, we looked at Jesus going to church or going to the synagogue in Nazareth, and they weren't quite so pleased with his message. And so hopefully my message will not be the same way. Or if it is, it's okay. You'd only have me this one week. So next week, Jeff will be back, I think. So, um, But this week, and, and then last week, one of the other things is, is that you heard Jeremy mention it. So, yeah, you can hear me. So you heard Jeremy mention it. Oh, no problem. So you heard Jeremy mention it earlier, the idea of jubilee. And we will see that a little bit later. We'll read the passage from the earlier in Luke. So Luke chapter 4, 31 through 44, is a very familiar passage, just like lots of the passages in Luke. It's things that we've seen. We grew up with them in Bible class. It's very much something that we know by heart a lot of times. And one of the things is, is that when we know something by heart, we don't listen. We, we try to just phase out. And especially if it's some guy like me that just rambles on and rambles on and rambles on and rambles on. So today what I thought of is I'm like, I'm going to just grab a different translation. I'm going to let us see it in a different translation. And maybe you use the New, An 
New American Standard Bible, the NASB. Maybe you don't. I don't. I use the NIV, so the one I have up here on this side is one, and the one over here is a different, so we'll, I have to make sure I focus on the right side as opposed to the left side. But it's really important that we see Scripture for today. And if we're hearing it only as things that we've heard when we were young, we're not hearing it for today. So I want you to listen and try to see if you catch something that may be different, something that you haven't heard before, something that's new and enlightening to you. So Luke chapter 4, 31 through 44. And by the way, I cannot read. So hopefully I'll make it through and you'll be able to actually hear the scripture as opposed to me making mistakes. And he came down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on, a, on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching because his message was delivered with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a spirit of an evil demon, and he cried out in a loud voice. Wait, 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 hold on. Let's just stop there. So did he just say that there was a demon while he was there teaching in the synagogue, not making ruckus or anything? Yeah, that's what he said. You just didn't hear it. Leave us alone. What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. Come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down on the midst of the people, it came out to him, it came out of him, doing him any, without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon all of them. And they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. The news about him spread to every locality in the surrounding region. By the way, I have arrows on here, so hopefully I don't jump to the next wrong slide as I'm reading through. Uh, then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked him to help her, and standing over her, he rebuked the fever, it left her, and she immediately got up and served them. Now while the sun was setting, all those who were, all those who had only, oh sorry, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he was laying his hands on them, and each or laying his hand on each one of them, and healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, "You are the Son of God!" And yet he was rebuking them, and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. And now, when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must also preach the, the kingdom of God to other cities, because I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues in Judea. Did you hear anything new? Is there anything that just struck you differently? So if we throw up the next slide, this is the synagogue. The picture of Jesus standing in a synagogue, all the people around, and if you 
paid attention to where I stopped earlier, I want to just start there. You don't really see a guy that you would normally classify as a guy with a demon standing in this picture, really. There's two guys talking in the back. I mean, it's pretty normal for people to talk in the back. Just watch Brian back there. He talks all the time. So. Uh, the back people always, he's probably, this is the sound guy probably running the sound in the synagogue. So it, it's really interesting because nobody knows that that demon is sitting in, that, in, in the pews there. And you say, well, it's, it's very apparent that it's that way. And it's like, really, it's not. So let's go back to that verse. And I want you to look at what it says. It says, he cried out in a loud voice, leave us alone. But you guys didn't see it, did you? If I look up there, I don't see it either. Something's missing from this passage. So... This something that's missing is what makes it really apparent that that guy was sitting there and has probably been sitting there multiple weeks. He's been there a lot. And the people around him don't notice it. You know, usually you see this guy that is in the, the cemetery cutting himself. And, and this is the picture of this, these demon-possessed people. Not this one. This one has been at the synagogue but probably Jesus was not there. We know Jesus has been, has been at that same synagogue in Capernaum multiple times. So let's go to the next slide, and we'll see something one more time. So it's, it's really interesting. It may not be so apparent with this picture. When it's me looking at it here, and it's right in front of me, it shows one thing. When it's here, Jesus isn't necessarily looking at you. He's maybe looking at the TV screen back there. But it's... This is what's happening. Jesus looks at the person that's demon-possessed. Something happens, and this demon-possessed guy is freaked out. So the next slide, I put a Greek word on it. And it's, ooh! And you see all these other translations of what it could be, whether it be, ah, hey! No way. Oh, no. You're looking at me. It's the Greek word for surprise. Most of the time in the translations, we just drop it off because we, it's an interjection that it doesn't mean a whole lot, but it, current day modern Greek, I think, even still uses this. If you walk up to somebody and surprise them, and this is what happens. This demon-possessed guy who's just been coming in Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, nobody says anything to him. Jesus looks out to him, and he's like, hey. Jesus doesn't say anything, but, he, but he's like, oh, my goodness. And in the Amplified Bible, it has, I think, the best translation. It's really pretty hard to understand in English compared to the Greek, but it says this, what business do we have in common with each other, Jesus of Nazareth. And it's very interesting because, and Jeff, there's your one time at least for interesting. So that was my job not to say the word that I just said. So, um, It takes this picture and it has Jesus and this demon making some kind of connection. And the demon is like, 
hey, what is it? Why are you talking to me? We have nothing in common. You shouldn't be bothering me. So if we go to the next slide, it's a very interesting reason why, because right here it says, the spirit of an unclean demon. And the pronunciation that he uses is in the Holy One of God. Holiness and uncleanness have no connection. Sin and holiness don't meet. The demon knew who he was, and the demon knew who Jesus was. It was very clear. And so the stereotype that the Jews had was that if you were unclean, you can't be around. You have to be at home. You have to wait and bring your sacrifice. You have to find a way to get clean. And here Jesus sort of reaches his hand out to this demon, and the demon realizes it, and he's like, no, this isn't the stereotype. This isn't the way it works. But you remember last Sunday. So if we go to the next slide, in 4.18 it said this. This is what Jesus pronounced in Nazareth. He said, the spirit of the Lord is with me. He has anointed me to tell the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce forgiveness to the prisoners of sin and the restoring of sight to the blind, to forgive those who have been shattered by sin, to announce the year of the Lord's favor, breaking all the stereotypes. Anybody that's in sin, anybody that's a prisoner, anybody that has some kind of sickness are unclean. And Jesus just said last, let's say last week with Jeff and the previous week probably in Nazareth, this is done. We're no longer keeping these stereotypes. We're getting rid of them and we're going to where the need is and we are going to proclaim the Jubilee right now. So this chapter ends with Jesus proclaiming it and showing how the Jubilee actually happens. And so Jesus then goes on and he says, in the next verse, he says, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And the demon throws him down on the ground, assuming he's just going to break him to pieces, and nothing happens. Jesus keeps him protected. It's not just getting rid of sin, it's bringing new life to that sinner. It's bringing new life to this demon-possessed man. And everybody hits this big picture of amazement. And amazement came upon them all. And they began talking to one another, saying, what message, what is this message? With power and authority, or authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirit, and, he, and they came out. So if we flip to the next slide, I want to focus for a second on authority. Because this is very important about Jesus. Authority is where Jesus gets everything. When we see him coming and he's saying that he's bringing this jubilee, and it's like, well, how? He, like all the other people want these good things to happen. Everybody wanted the Messiah to come. But what makes Jesus any different? We already hear his teaching did. His teaching was different than the other rabbis. The rabbis generally just said, 
this rabbi said this, this rabbi said that, this rabbi said that. And so all Saturday, if you were at the synagogue, all you'd hear is what Rabbi Hillel said, or Rabbi Shammai said, or Rabbi this, Tom, John. And you didn't really hear what God said. Jesus walks in, and he declares God's message is happening. And it's like, this is not right. This is why Nazareth, he had a problem. They're like, you can't say that. Jesus came teaching with authority. The demons, the same thing. The rabbis had ways to get demons out. We, we think about demons and Jesus being the only one to heal them, but they had some special words, some magic words. They had some magic acts that they did, and it worked sometimes. Other times we know from acts that it did not work sometimes. The, the exer, the person that's doing the exorcist, or exorcism, exorcist, I guess, uh, ran out naked because the demon beat him up. So it worked, but Jesus here, on the other hand, he's not using magic words. He says, be quiet, get out, and it worked. And they're like, this is not the same. We've seen it happen before. We know it, it happens. Jesus is doing it different. We see it in Simon's mother-in-law, or Peter's mother-in-law, and uh, she's completely healed. We go on, we see a leper, we see a blind person, we see all these people being healed. Nature. So Jesus has authority over nature. And we see that several times in the book of Luke. We'll see him walking on water. We'll see him feeding the 5,000. We'll see him stopping a storm. And every time this word amazement shows back up, they're just like, what? Where are we at? Why is, what's going on? Even his disciples are the same way. And the last one, the death. So about two chapters later, I think it's chapter 8 or 9. That's four chapters later, I guess. But we have Jesus healing the widow's son. And at this point, this guy is being carried out to the grave. Three or four days have passed. They're getting ready to bury him. And Jesus comes over and realizes the need, and he takes care of it. We see it the same in in John with Lazarus, and we see it at the end of each of the gospel with himself being raised to new life. And so the authority of Jesus is really key when we look at the book of Luke. And as we look at this passage, because we see what Jesus is doing, it's not something new, or it is something new. It's something that they had not seen before. So as we get to the next verse, the, the ending verses uh, 42 through 44, we see that it says, Now when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. The crowd were there searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must also preach, to the, ki- I must also preach the kingdom of God to other cities because I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues in Judea. So Jesus knew the need of the people. Jesus knew that they needed to be healed. He knew that there were sick people everywhere. But that was not his purpose. He knew his purpose was to teach and to tell about the kingdom of God. In the next slide, it has a quote from N.T. Wright, and this is what he says about this passage. He says, But the main reason is that he had to go where other people were. 
He had to tell people that God was coming, becoming king in a new way, that God's long-awaited salvation was breaking into the world, even though it didn't look like they had expected it to. Because that's the biggest issue. They expected a king out of Jesus. And at one point, you'll see them try to take him to make him king. And Jesus keeps on preaching this idea of jubilee, this idea of breaking down the, breaking the chains that are inside of us, breaking us free from sin, and setting us free. We see even this in John 10, he says that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what we see with this guy. He had not made it to the point of being in the cemetery. He was hanging out at church still or in the synagogue. But he was stealing his life. And Jesus tells him, I have come to set you free. The Son of Man, he then went in John, came to give life and life to the full. And that's the power of Jesus that he offers to us. As we sort of close out and we look at this whole passage as a whole, really there are five things that really us as followers of Jesus can take. And the first one here is basically this teaching the truth. In verse 32 it said, they were amazed at his teaching because his message was delivered with authority. So our jobs as followers is to teach the truth. Who likes to tell, the, tell lies? Who likes to hear lies? Anybody like to hear people lie to them? Jesus was very clear. Truth is important. And we need to let everybody know about the kingdom of God in this time of jubilee this freedom that we're offered. The next thing that he does in 35, he says, Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. He confronted evil. And this is where it gets a little bit tough for us. Who likes to confront people? Oh, we have one right here. There's not a lot of people that like to confront people. Who likes to confront themselves? This is a bit tougher. It's very easy to go up to somebody, I start yelling at Brett here or something, or go over here to Matthew and yell at him, you need to change your lives. It's whenever I have to turn around and look at the mirror and tell myself I have to change my life. Because evil, yes, it does like to go to Brett's house, it does like to go to Matthew's house, but it likes to hang out at my house too. Sin is always in front of us. We have to confront sin. Because we know that Jesus said, we'll pull it back in front of me, and it says, He came to announce forgiveness to the prisoners of sin, restore the sight of the blind, to forgive those who have been shattered by sin. In order for us to, to be part of this jubilee, we have to renounce the sin that's around us and that's in us. The next one, verse 40, and he says, he was lying his hands on each one of them and healing them. 
He demonstrated compassion. So how easy would it have been for Jesus just to come into town, walk outside of Simon's house after healing the mom, and said, you're all healed, and walk right back in and had some more food, or laid down and went to sleep. Could Jesus do it? Yes. God gave him the power to do anything. But what did he do? All night long. So they, they started coming right after sunset, because you know the Jews could not travel very far until sun, the sunset, and especially if you're carrying somebody that's sick. So he, they start carrying all these sick people to Jesus, and he stopped at each and every one of them. He looked at their need. He heard the people's voices. He saw their hearts, and he touched each and every one of them. The same way that we do when we have people around us. That's the call to us, to demonstrate compassion. It's difficult. It's not an easy thing. We see Jesus waking up in the middle of the earth. We, we see him leaving as day breaks. So if you think 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, maybe the sun uh, is going down and they're coming. 6 or 7 o'clock, the sun's coming up. He spent 12 hours after everything else that went on that day giving compassion. So what does he do next? So in our Oh, wait, before we go to that, go to the next slide. I want to read this off, and it says, What the healing and exorcism show is God's power and concern for humanity. The church should show no less compassion today. When we deal with the ravages of disease and show concern to those who are hurting, we are reflecting the kind of love God has for people who live in a fallen world. So it's very important that we show that compassion. So the other thing that happens is that Jesus, just like us, has anybody ever spent 12 hours healing out on the curbside? You can talk to probably Lane and Eric and all the teens that were down at camp. They didn't sleep very much probably all throughout the week, and they, most of them crashed that afternoon. Just hanging out for a week together makes you tired. Jesus was doing it for 12 hours straight, talking to people, ministering to people. And he needed renewing. And it says, Jesus got up. So in Mark, so if we look at the, same, the parallel passage in Mark, it says this. Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. So just think, you get home from camp, you uh, what do you do? Go crash in the bed. No, you go and pray. Go find somewhere to be by yourself where it's quiet and pray. So, I mean, for me, just being in the evenings, for me to stay up and pray is a struggle. And because I fall asleep. And so, Jesus, after ministering all night, he needed that renewing. He needed that connection with God. And we need to be, need the same. We need our connection with God. We need to be in scripture. We need to be in prayer. Allowing that to minister to us as we minister to others. And then, because all of these things tend to take up all of our time, 
You know, I mean, if we're compassionate all the time, if we're confronting evil all the time, if we're teaching the truth all the time, even if we're praying and reading the Bible all the time, we can lose track of our purpose. So the last one that I wanted to point out here, this fifth one, I must also preach the kingdom of God to other cities because I was sent for this purpose. Jesus did not forget his purpose. Our purpose is to do all four. Our purpose is to do probably more things as well. But we cannot forget the purpose while we can, while we're called to. We have to be about the Lord's work. It's sort of hard sometimes to just get, we sort of get stuck in our normal day lives. And, I mean, you can, I was working this morning because my job thinks that I needed to work on a Sunday morning. But I worked all week. So, and I focus on work all the time. I lose purpose. I pur my purpose is to test this, to do that, to, to do this. That's not my real purpose. My real purpose is to be part of the Jubilee, to get rid of the sin that entangles, to dive into compassion and helping others, to renewing my own strength. And so to end with, as I sort of asked the praise team to come join on stage, I'm going to read a, uh, a piece of a song. If you guys know my classes, a lot of times I bring in songs and and this one's called What If. Some of you may know it. It's by Matthew West. And the praise team can come on up. And I'm just going to read a little clip of it. And then we will go into our song. It says this. But last I checked, this heart inside my chest is still beating. Well, I guess it's not too late. What if today's the only day I've got? I don't want to waste it if it's my last shot. No regrets in the end. I want to know I've got no what ifs. I'm running till the road runs out. I'm lighting up right here and now. No regrets in the end. I want to know I've got no what ifs. I'm going to dream a little bigger, burn a little brighter, stand a little taller, closer to the fire, dig a little deeper, reach a little further, Love a little harder, no regrets in the end. I want to know I've got no what ifs. As we stand as part of the Jubilee, we see Jesus not wasting a second, not, he, he has that in his mind about these what ifs. And he has none when he dies on the cross. So let me challenge you teach the truth, confront evil. Demonstrate compassion, renew your strength, and don't forget your purpose.